corkscrews and contracts where we talk all things real estate but first be sure to like listen and subscribe on corkscrewsandcontracts.com and contact us for all real estate services a quick note about this episode because it was recorded at distance and over web browser the audio is a little hard to hear but just like real estate you roll with the punches so get out a glass of wine and enjoy the episode with us thanks For this episode of Court Screws and Contracts, I'm Wyatt Wallace. And I'm Jennifer Hammer. It's such a pleasure uh, to be with you today and to enjoy a little bit of that wine. So, um, yes, it is a red wine today of the finest kind, no doubt. No doubt. Mm. And we have gotten some great feedback from those listening to the show. We're, I'm an investor and, and we love to work with investors people that are looking for more information about how to syndicate properties and deals and how to make things happen on a bigger scale. We're talking big bucks here. So we have uh, two wonderful guests that are very familiar with that and we'd love to show them and bring them to you on this show. Unfortunately, they do not have wine with us today, but it's okay. I'm sure they'll have a glass afterwards. We'll be in Nashville next weekend. <laughs> we'll have wine next weekend. <laughs> so folks, we have some great guys that are super into syndication. They have a lot of knowledge and they're willing to share it with us. Uh, first up, we have Mike Taravella. He's a CPA. He graduated from Michigan State University in 2014 with a Master's of Science in Accounting. He has worked five years professionally in accounting. He started at Ernst & Young in public accounting and then transitioned into Detroit's startup community at Rock Ventures. Uh, he actually began his real estate investing career in 2016 by owning and self-managing investments in Michigan. So that's so exciting, man. Yeah. <laughs> and we have Dylan Marma, uh, who began his real estate investing career in 2015, and he quickly rose to leadership uh, in residential and commercial real estate investing in his company there in San Diego, uh, where he began investing in real estate and learning how to evaluate markets and manage properties remotely. And in early 2018, Dylan joined the team with Rand Partners, and both of them are there today uh, to expand into additional markets throughout the Southeast, as well as to build out the systems to open up the doors for outside investors to partner through syndication. Well, Dylan and Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you guys for having us on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, I wanted to start, we love to, to start off right away, and what is probably, since we're talking about syndication, what's probably the, the number one thing that you would say that, that our listeners need to know about it? There's a lot to it. You know, there's, there's definitely a lot of moving parts going on in syndication, and if you're getting into real estate for the idea of just creating passive income to where you can sit back and kick your feet up on the beach and, and reap the, the benefits of your passive income, syndication is probably not your answer. It may be <laughs> the answer to some early wealth creation if you're willing to work very hard for 10 plus years. Um, and, and then maybe you can take you know, the, the profits from your business and, and put that into true passive income real estate that keeps sending you checks. But 
uh, syndication as a whole um, is a you know you really are a, a shepherd for the uh, you know the the investors uh, money right and you have to you know do a lot of hard work to uh, put the right deals together for them to execute well during the deals and typically you're going to be exiting at some point in the lifetime where you can maximize investor returns. So I always like to make sure that when someone is considering it, if you know, I'm sure a lot of your audiences act are active investors uh, that many have considered it. I uh, just always want to make sure, you know, they're clear on why they're doing it in the first place and making sure that it aligns with their own goals and lifestyle choices. Absolutely. And to second that with Dylan you're buying a business with real estate. So it's a totally different realm of, you have to understand the business side and the real estate side. So it takes a lot more education, takes a lot more patience, takes a lot more due diligence and you have the investor side. So it's a lot longer process. So we've seen a lot of active investors try to merge into the syndication world and they get frustrated several months in educating and trying to get that first deal. But it could take anywhere from 12 to 18 months before they understand it is a good deal and to get their investor bases. So it's a much longer process than you've seen with the single family flips and buy and hold properties. And, and I will say on the flip side of the coin, well, it is a very active business for those that are active operators. It can also be the absolute most passive form of investing. There is in existence for private real estate for true passive investors, limited partners, on the deals. The reason being is that when you go and buy a single family house, even if you have a third party property management company, you are still playing a role and you still have a job and your job is to manage the manager. When you have a sponsor, the sponsor's job is to manage the manager. You are now in a position where you are truly a passive investor and you rely on the sponsor that you've hopefully done a lot of vetting up front to entrust in them the ability to properly execute the deal and manage the manager. So I get it. I get it. Uh, um, it's so many of us get into this field, like you said, to get that cash flow, to get that freedom of life, uh, not be tied down to a desk, but becoming a syndicator, you now have a job so that other people can go to the beach. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> How did you guys uh, team up and find your passion for syndication? Well, my, if you want to talk, talk a little bit about our story, you know, I know you guys introduced us uh, earlier, but as far as um, you know, the stories go, recently, uh, you know, Mike and I had just closed on our first uh, syndication together as, as, as a unit, right? Uh, Mike's you know, came, joined uh, our team just about uh, four months back at this point. Um, and he came on to help us continue to add the additional bandwidth um, and scale as our team currently, we ju just crossed roughly 1,600 um, units collectively. Uh, we've done a lot of scaling up over the last year, so it's been a lot of doubling down on how do we increase our bandwidth, how do we create systems and, and routines and processes for the different actions that we're doing so that we don't go crazy. And uh, Mike's been playing an essential role in that, um, and and we've just recently closed in a on a deal, uh, 143 units in Lexington. Mike, you want to walk them through a little bit on the story? Yeah, so we got a off market deal with our broker that we've Dylan and the team has accumulated a ton of relationships through touring properties, 
scoping out the markets and just making sure that our broker understands what our criteria is for a deal because a lot of brokers have a lot of different criteria. Yeah. And so we, we, because it's a truly off market deal, we jumped on it and I began underwriting it as quick as possible to make sure we have a turnaround and we realized it was a deal. So we jumped on it, submitted our LOI. Dylan was actually in Las Vegas at the time. I was moving from Chicago to Knoxville to join the Ram Partners team. So just all, all aspects of all part of, all around the world, we're trying to get this deal in Lexington, Kentucky done. And so we, as soon as my first week in Knoxville, we got the deal under contract. And from then on, began the due diligence and it came through and there's nothing to, there's a couple of things that arose, but the seller being very, nothing too crazy, just gave us a $100,000 seller credit and we moved on with the property and closed the deal probably two weeks ago. So it's been a, a whirlwind just jumping on my first week at the first deal done together with the Ram Partners team. And, you know, it's, here we are month four trying to find the next one. Man, that is so cool. I love that. 1,600 units. That's a huge milestone. Congratulations about that too, guys. And yeah, thank you. Yeah. And the the thought that a seller credit could be valued at six figures <laughs> like a credit is six figures that's the kind of size we're talking about here it's incredible, incredible. and it was just and it wasn't a mentioning there wasn't any real negotiation it's just the seller was super transparent we built a relationship and we just brought up a couple things that came across our our desk during due diligence and he just out of the blue just picked the number and we thought it thought it covered our basis and and, and, I, and I think it all has to be put into perspective because sometimes in this space, especially we can be very blinded by just the, the sheer size of the money because we compare it to our, whether it's our personal, you know, bank accounts or, you know, the values that we place on our, the, you know, the, our beloved uh, possessions. Um, you know, I, but I, I think that when you're looking at commercial, you know, we, we look at that hundred thousand and, and is a $10 million purchase. And after, um, all in, you're actually a little bit higher than that when you include improvement costs and things to that effect, right? So it's it's actually less than one percent of the total uh, money, right? Which is actually a very small amount, right? It's if you take yeah. a hundred thousand dollar house and you had a thousand dollars come off, it doesn't seem like that much money, right? But it's so it's, it's all relative. Yeah, uh, that's great. So we met uh, at a Ren event uh, called Deals, 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 and what I loved about your presentation was that not only, you know, I, I come from a flipping background, flipping houses, that sort of thing. And, you know, my thought is it's all about the property. What can I do here? How quickly can I turn this and make money on it? And the way that you analyze for multifamily, where you ask, it seems so simple to me. Look, if you're going to rent to people, they need to make three times rent. Well, what's the median income for the area? Duh, I never thought to ask something like that. But as a syndicator, you need to know these things because you can't raise rent beyond what they make in income. Absolutely. Correct. Absolutely. That's actually the usually one of the very first things we look at on any deal that we come across is typically figuring out where is the market first on a macro perspective. And then once we have an understanding on the market, a macro perspective, we're also looking at it on a micro perspective, as in where is a specific 
sub-market, and we like to go down to the census tract. It tends to be some of the most reliable information, even though uh, it's been a long time since they've completely you know, updated the census. It should be, I believe it's gonna be updated again next year, but they have estimates on where the census is today in terms of your uh, population growth, your median income, and things to that effect. So one of our one of our initial criteria that we feel strongly about is sticking to a $35,000 or higher median income across the board. And the higher that number is on a census tract level, as well as what the surrounding census tracts are telling us, gives us more confidence in the area, especially if we're looking at uh, driving up the incomes through value add. Plus it builds credibility with the brokers that we have these criteria built in that we can quickly get back to them. Even today, just getting a quick throw in the address and being able to quickly weed out that property. They respect that because then they're not wasting their time waiting to get back and forth. So it just adds a lot of credibility to number one, they get deals done. And number two, they analyze deals really quickly. Real estate investors looking for a quick close and no appraisals reach out to Mike Brady at PropertyRecycle.com. They are a large private equity firm with that personal touch. Property Recycle offers an easy online application, no appraisal requirements, and can close within five days. Ditch your slow, expensive lender and get the money you need today. Call Mike Brady at 615-806-7500. Again, that is 615 615- 806-7500 or visit propertyrecycle.com. One thing we really value uh, and we run our business this way is relationships. And that's why we have our networking event and different things. And that's why he's a member of RIN, <laughs> Real Estate Investors in Nashville. But uh, I know you guys have to have relationships as well with, in, with investors and, and other business people. So how do you go about uh, gaining those relationships and nurturing those relationships. For sure. The biggest thing that we take pride in is we go to a lot of events like the deals, deals, deals. We have our own events with our education arm, Jake and Gino, that has events that we go out and we put ourselves out there to a lot of investors to one, get to know us. But once they are invested with RAM partners, we have a lot of communication still when we take over a property, we have monthly webinars the first three months and then quarterly after that. So not only are they seeing Dylan, my face, they're seeing our other partner principals, Jake and Gino, just making sure that they understand what's going on with the property. Is it hitting our targets? Are, do, what is our business plan going forward? So they're still getting those touch points at a digital level and making sure that they are fully in the know for every deal that's going on. And we just make sure that we are keep ourselves open to any questions they have, whether it's the investment or the monthly performance. We just constantly communicate to make sure that they trust us, they know what's going on, and they have that full transparency. Right. There's two very important buckets of relationships in this business. So number one, it's investors. Number two, it's brokers. Brokers are the ones that are providing the deal flow at the deal sizes that we're looking at. There are enough brokers working very hard out there to find the right deals and they're earning a handsome commission through it, right? So, so it doesn't really make sense for us to always compete directly at um, going direct to owner. Well, we have had several transactions through that. It's usually because of just purely, again, relationships that we've had 
built uh, existing, but brokers are, you know, definitely someone that we place a lot of value on. And, uh, you know, we, we cherish those relationships. And then in addition, we have the investor relationships as Mike just, just hit on, uh, it, it just is, is extremely important, right? I think if there's one thing that folks can say about us as watching us is that we are, we are not, again, passive sponsors. We are very active sponsors that, that care, that have our head and our hearts in this day to day, really doubling down on anything we can to improve the systems. When there is a problem, we are on top of solving it, right? And I'll never say we're, we're perfect, right? And, and you know, we, we never have it all figured out. It's a constant learning experience, but I think the uh, proactive nature of our group definitely has uh, helped us with those relationships. And we definitely enjoy, uh, you know, scheduling meetups or, you know, uh, events that we, we, as we can to just purely just connect and build FaceTime with our investors as uh, you know, we, we see them as more than just a uh, number. So that's really awesome. And how long would you say, uh, you know, well, we, we've learned or studying a little bit about syndication is that you need to have those relationships built with people before you actually have the product to provide for them to invest mm -hmm. in. How long would you say you've built some of those relationships that you've been able to then turn into successful partnerships and, and so forth? Is it years or, or how long would you say, I've got my list and, and now it's time? Well, it's really the age-old question, right? The uh, the chicken or the egg. I, I think oftentimes when you're getting into syndication, you're unsure on where to start. Do I start with the investors? Do I start with the deal? And in many cases, it depends on knowing your own strengths. Are you located in a market where there's a lot of deal flow? Maybe you should really double down on focusing and finding a deal and then find someone to partner with that can bring the money into the table. Are you located in San Francisco, where for B and C class value at investors, there's very limited opportunity, yet there's a lot of money around you, right? And, and probably a lot of your network are positioned in a, you know, very well to invest passively in the opportunities, right? So maybe you can find someone that lives in a, in a market and partner with them, right? So you don't have to do it all. You can do one direction or another direction, right? This is a team sport. Um, you know, fortunately, we have a team that's, I'd say, well-rounded to where we have uh, if you, you know, Jake Senziano, if you know, Barbro, uh, those guys have ran a you know, top rated podcast. I believe it's number one in multifamily on uh, iTunes, Wheelbarrow Profits for those listening. And those guys have done a phenomenal job at, at building a brand, uh, nourishing relationships and, and building that up. Right. And at the same time, you know, Mike and I can play uh, the, the roles that we, we do in terms of like helping support with the asset management, uh, you know, nourishing the relationships in the front end when they have questions about the specific investment. Or, you know, after we have the deal going, if they have, you know, ongoing questions about the deal's overall performance, you know, we, we, we continue to, to handle that from there. So I think, yes, building the base first helps. You always want to have access to capital. Access to capital does become easier as you have a track record. So that's the, the big catch-22. And, and on that, too, if you have a ton of investors and no deals, then they're not going to be as interested and take you seriously as well. And I think too, you that SEC has specific rules of making sure you have that relationship before the deal because there's two different securities, the 506B, which means that you can't just blast Facebook and show your deal to everyone. Mm -hmm. And 506C is the one where you can. So there's very specific securities and you don't want to mess with the SEC when it comes to the securities laws. So just making sure you know what you can and cannot do if you're raising capital and or finding deals for the syndicators. 
I think we, we talked about that on this cast. Who was that? That might have been a couple months ago where we jokingly said something like, if you don't do it right, the guys in the blue blazers will show up and shut down your operation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, something, so there's some truth to that, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, definitely is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was talking to a guy um, just not last night, actually, giving some, some uh, you know, real estate advice to people. And I, he was looking to get into syndication and the whole bit. And he said, yeah, I got this thing. And, and I kind of want to tell everybody about it. And I said, hold on, buddy. If you want to do that, do some more research first. Find somebody who's experienced with it and then come back <laughs> because yeah. you don't want to, to let, let all the, all the energy out of your sales go because you've, you've done it the wrong way to get started with. Yeah. And, and oftentimes I always recommend either somehow collaborating with someone that has the tangible experience or even doing deals without syndication at first, just to get your head wrapped around how it all works. Right. Especially if you're going to go out there and do it all from A to Z, including raising other people's money, including finding the deal, including managing the asset properly. In those early deals, you're likely to have a lot of mistakes if, if you haven't done all of this all at once. And that's a lot, there's a learning curve for each and every aspect of it. Uh, so if you look at our team's history, starting back in 2013, the first 900 units were actually purchased without syndication. The management company was also started on the very first purchase of 25 units and you know, grew organically from the ground up. So that way, now that we've done several syndications over the last uh, year and a half, you know, we have, uh, we have built not only just a reputation for ourselves, but we've also built uh, just a lot of knowledge and know-how on how to execute properly uh, so that the multifamily challenges that come up are not something that are, not something as new to us. It's just something we can look at like just another time it happened, right? Another one of those. And along with the partners, you have to have all your vendors lined up, insurance, securities, oh. lawyers, property management, if you're contracting it out, you have to have all these in line to make sure that you can get to close. And then once you close, execute on your business plan you have. So not only does the business partners and the brokers, but you have to have everything else on the business side lined up, ready to go day one of takeover. And that's to make sure that the investors don't become active in it. Well, or, just to make sure we're protecting investors' money. So say, for example, insurance could be an issue. It's in a flood zone and you find out a couple days before it closed. Or your property manager is usually running 20 units, but you're buying a 40 unit. So you really have to make sure that you act as a fiduciary to your investors to protect their money. So you're aligning all these third-party property managers and other vendors to make sure you're protecting their money. Where do you guys see multifamily going in the next 20 years? I, I see in the next 20 years it continuing to increase in demand. The U.S. is becoming a nation of renters and still has continued that trend. And also in the Class BC, the affordable housing, there's still a huge supply-demand gap where there's much more in demand than there is supply. So I think long-term views, I think multifamily is a great asset class. Even with the hot market now, it's the there's still just going to be, as an asset class, a great market to invest in. But yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we've seen a lot of cap rate compression over just the last eight years, if you look at it, but there's always a reason behind why we're seeing cap rate compression. Uh, it has a lot more certainty than a lot of other sectors within the real estate realm right now. There's been a huge, uh, you know, there's the whole, you know, re retail um, situation going on right now, the retail apocalypse, as some, some are referring to it, might be a little bit exaggerated, but uh, you're seeing a huge transformation there. You're seeing a huge transformation with office space, with WeWork becoming the largest owner of office space, with more co-working taking place, more remote jobs taking place. Uh, you're, and then you're also seeing with industrial, a lot of it is becoming, uh, you know, industrial is still, I believe it's going to be relatively lower cap rates as well right now. Um, but, you know, they're, they're really becoming uh, much more reliant upon the right tenants, uh, right? Because, you know, Amazon pretty much is, is, you know, if you can get Amazon there, you, you know, you're, you know that you're going to be able to trade it at a, at a very nice low cap rate. But again, it's it's just a, it, there's not as much of the value add component as there is in multifamily. I think multifamily people see, as Mike mentioned, it becoming more of a renter's nation. Um, we see that, you know, there's still a solid number of value add opportunities, whether, the value adds may decrease over the next five to 10 years, right? I think that it's possible um, because, you know, there, there is a higher, not only resident demand, but also investor demand, um, you know, in a lot of the older products, there's only so many 1970s and 1980s buildings out there. So a lot of these products are going to get bought up and they are going to get, uh, you know, the value added, um, you know, and all the units turned and the exterior is upgraded. Um, but then again, you're also going to have by 10 years from now, you're going to have the 2000s product that hasn't been touched yet. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the, 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 the hope is that, and I think it just is only logical that there's always going to be a need for more capital infusion into a lot of these properties to keep them modern and keep them in what, you know, the residents are going to be demanding. So I think that's going to be really interesting. I think the biggest threats that we face are, um, a lot of times government in intervention, right? I think, I think um, just with taxes going up or, you know, for using as a source of revenue or right now there's a lot of talks around rent control and things like that. So there's, you know, there's always some of the things that we, we can't control, which are, which do become threats for us as investors. But I think as a whole, uh, we feel confident uh, in, in the space and we feel confident, you know, that's why we have a lot of assets we plan on holding for the long term. Well, uh Excellent. Uh, two things. First of all, you know what? Just one. I want to hear a story that didn't go well for you, but you learned a whole lot. Anything like that? I think the first deal was learning a whole lot because you can study so many books and read so many things online, and but until you're doing it and just realizing the amount of bandwidth it takes. So Dylan, definitely my first week, was an amazing teacher of just showing who our vendors are and everything that we need to do to get it done. So Dylan was just a great teacher on that piece. So from my end, it was just reading from a book and doing it in real life are not the same. So it was just a funny and scary experience all at the same time on my end. <laughs> yeah. I would say we, we haven't had as many, um, you know, as far as we don't have any deals that have necessarily went, went bad, so to speak. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't think you can, we can talk about it from like a macro deal perspective of this one deal that we just wish we never would have purchased. Now, granted, it's been a pretty, um, favorable environment to be in, right. And, and all 
uh, boats rise with the tide. But I, I would say um, there's always little you know, nuances of every deal which you're facing learning curves in. And I think uh, I think the most stressful time is sometimes in those first 60 days when you have the deal under contract between raising the money um, and and also you know executing the due diligence and things like that. There is almost always at least one new thing that you haven't heard of before that that pops up and you're and you're and you're working on it and it, and it can uh, definitely you know, you just ex you have to expect anything during those 60 days right until that deal is closed just expect curveballs right and and um, you know <laughs> uh, otherwise you know it, it's all just going to blindside you so you have to just kind of stay on your toes and stay stay prepared I would say we do have one deal in North Knox that we bought at the end of last year which is not a syndicated deal and I think you know in, in some for some reasons it's we're actually happy. Um, it wasn't, and that's the reason we didn't syndicate it was because it was a heavy value add uh, with with um, very limited cash flow. And um, on this deal, we bought in you know in the in the mid twenty thousands per unit uh, right now, and and you know we we anticipate that you know after injecting a solid you know a few hundred thousand dollars in capital into it um, and a lot of manpower um, over the next year or so that you know we we should be able to get it up to where it's where it's somewhere in hopefully the 40,000s per unit, right? So a big, uh, a big increase. However, um, you know, th since taking it over, we've had, uh, you know, all, you, you, we've seen the worst of it, right? When you hear just even the price per door, you're kind of aware of the type of, uh, you know, residents you're going you're gonna to have to deal with sometimes, right? You have, you know, the you have drug dealers and prostitutes and you know, you, they're in there, right? And, and it's, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's a tough thing, I think. But I, I think with that deal, that's con confirmed what we've, you know, our kind of our, our principle of like, you know, whenever you have these heavier value add deals, it, it typically is going to take at least one and a half times the money and one and a half times the time and sometimes twice the money and twice the time that you initially anticipate. So you, you really want to make sure you're in a position where you're not keeping your, say your improvement budget um, too slim um, to where you, you don't have the money to to finish the value add properly because if we were ever caught at a standstill we didn't have the capital to to keep um you know a proper reserve in place um that deal could become a nightmare very fast right so i think if you're if you're considering one of those deals i you know i think you have to definitely think twice about it and make sure that you build in an ample um buffer for yourself i and i tell a lot of people too right now with where today's environment is you don't have to go for those super hairy deals well, they can be a great story at the end of the day, and, and you can have your war story and brag about, you know, how low per door you got in or how you know much of a war zone it was. But when you first took over, um, I, I think that you can actually hit a lot of um, phenomenal returns with deals that have less moving parts and, and less risk involved. So I think it's just being well aware that you don't have to go for that, especially if you're getting started. You're probably better off going for something that's more similar to a lot of the deals that we do, which is like a, a deal that's stabilized from an occupancy standpoint, cash flowing from day one, but you find ability to, you know, force the appreciation through, you know, a number of ways. Huh. Do you like buying insurance for your flip, new construction, or other properties? No, everyone hates buying insurance unless you call Joe Gravy Graves with I Hate Buying Insurance. I Hate Buying Insurance. He chose that name because it's the truth. Call or text Joe at 615-499-6846 to ask about insuring your investment properties and you'll get three free gifts worth over $7,000 in value when you say, Gravy, I need a quote on my most valuable asset. 615-499-6846.
Networth's Networth Realty of Nashville is growing wealth in Tennessee by providing people across the Nashville metropolitan area with the tools and expertise they need to succeed in the residential real estate market. Their specialists understand the ins and outs of Nashville and are experts at locating undervalued properties in the city's most desirable neighborhoods. That's Networth Realty of Nashville, 615-823-2777. I think you just kind of answered my question, but as you were, were talking, I had a question. Is there something in particular that you look for when you're looking at the deals? Like this is, we like this deal because of this, and it's just something in particular you look for. Yeah, we look at, we compare it to like a painting. So at a macro level, we look at the city and making sure that it has increased population, strong jobs. Uh, a lot of job diversity as well so that it's not dependent on one employer or one job sector because of any economic change or downturn anything can happen so we look at the macro and then we look at that subsector so with the lexington deal a lot of there was an outdoor mall an indoor mall and the suburban area where it had a lot of high-end retail so a lot of our residents actually work in all those areas and it's a very great area to be in in town so we look at the sub market make sure is it a draw or an attraction to that area that people want to be there and then we look at the deal level and making sure that one it cash flows from day one and two that we can hit our investor returns which we target around a 15 percent internal rate of return and we offer a eight percent preferred return so making sure that it hits that at least air minimum 8% cash flow so that we can give our investors their returns as well. So we go super macro and work our way down to make sure that at any level it makes sense because you could talk yourself into a deal and say, oh, I'm a spreadsheet. It makes this much. But if everything above it doesn't make sense, then it's really not a good deal. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the analogy we use when researching markets, submarkets, and the deals. Totally, yeah. We we say it's you know it's a giant funnel, and it, you know it's slowly macro down to the micro, and and um, you know I think like just to reiterate Mike's point, if you're and you know out there underwriting deals, don't just go for what's going to hit your cash on cash on paper, whatever it might be. Right, you you have to set your parameters first for the market and the submarket. Um, otherwise, yeah, you might wind up in a in a very tough position because everyone makes money on a spreadsheet until it's real life <laughs> yeah. yeah wow yeah and i like the the fact that you do all of that research because sure enough over the court you know it may not matter in the first six months but it does in five years it does in 10 years where the whole city is going yeah, absolutely. And we and we check like the local developments to see where the path of progress is as well. So we're making sure we're really in tune because that's the fiduciary res responsibility we have with our investors and their money and growing grant partners responsibly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, first floor, maybe first step, if someone wants to do what you do, where do you recommend that they start? Is it reading a book? Is it talking to someone like yourselves? Um, how does that begin? I, th I think for me, it's what helped me a lot was doing the books, but what really jumped it is joining, getting coaching. At, in Jake and Gino, we have a great community of people who are getting educated, have coaches, and have that interaction with each other to prove and help 
each other when we're down because we're all in different spots in our journey. But in the, the community I've seen, it's been amazing how each other has helped. We had amazing stories on deals getting closed and students helping other students out to get make sure documents got to close. So just making sure you have that accountability, that coaching, and just to elevate your game to make sure that you can get to where you want to be because in the multifamily world, you can't do it by yourself. It's impossible. I tried to do it at one point working and it's just, it's super hard to do. So just get a team, get coaching and it'll pour gasoline on the fire to make sure you're at the top of your game way faster than you could ever do it by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough thing because I always compare it to, you know, other aspects of real estate. Sometimes if you were, let's just say you were going to go out there and learn how to wholesale uh, residential, I think that I think you can break that down into, uh, you know, very specific action steps that you can almost find more duplicatable um, from anyone, right? Okay, go and buy a list, go and list, go and read this script. And then when you, when you have someone that's interested, go and put down the, you know, go and use this contract and then go and call them back and renegotiate if needed or whatever it might be, right? And, and I think you can kind of have this, um, this clear cut path. But I think because we're dealing with, especially if you're dealing with large multifamily, like, you know, what we do is um, typically buying 100 plus unit buildings um, you know, if you don't have the credibility, you're gonna have a very difficult time ever getting a broker to take you seriously. If you ever put an offer in, you're going to have a very difficult time getting the financing in place. You have to have a net worth equal to the loan balance. Um, and you have to have a, a serious liquidity. So you're gonna have, if you don't have that yourself, you're gonna have to go find partners that trust you enough to put their own net worth on the line, uh, to get a deal across. Right. And you're, you're going to have to, uh, then if you're going to get into syndication, you're going to have to find investors that trust you enough, uh, even though you have zero track record, right? I mean, you can have a track record in business or your personal life, and that's really what you're going to rely on in the beginning oftentimes. But I think that um, there, there's a lot of moving parts, and hopefully my, my point hits on, but it's basically the fact that none of these, none of these different tasks are easy in the beginning. It's actually there, there, there's a larger barrier to entry. But also larger barrier entry can mean more opportunity if you do it right and you stick with it. So I think it's just first off, just you know, really assessing where am I today? What are my strong suits? Which part of this you know, machine uh, do I fit into best? And, and do I see it being my strong suits? And then finding a way to, to go after that, right? And I always keep that answer open-ended because there, there's no one clear-cut answer. That's awesome. Hey, Dylan and Mike, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure being on and an honor to be on. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. It was our pleasure. <laughs> Time for a glass of wine. Yeah, here we go. of Corkscrews and Contracts. Podcast copyright 2019.